Hello and welcome to Ship Talking, your weekly digest of sitting around a table and chatting ship. I'm James Amy, your community manager, and I'm excited to be joining Brandon for this week's episode. James, I am so glad you're here as well. Everyone knows your amazing content and memes that go out on Twitter and throughout the whole community, but it's great, I think, for everyone to put a voice to a name. Absolutely. It's fantastic to be here. Something I've been hoping to do for a little while just to get my voice out there. Can never hurt, Yeah, right? absolutely. <laughs> and Robbie's still on shore leave, so perfect time to have both you and George join us on the show. So very excited to have you here for this week's episode. Speaking of this week's episode, we're here on DS9. I'm very excited that in just a bit, we're going to be meeting my good friend and previous colleague in Cork's Bar for a bit of ship talking. I'm referring to none other than the awesome Al Rivera, a.k.a. Captain Gecko. Al is the design director for Star Trek Online and leads teams that bring to life all the ships that players get to command in game. I fly a lot of the ships that he's worked on, him and his team, not only design-wise, but ability and power-wise. So it'd be great to talk with him. I think especially with the recent series of Discovery, there's going to be some interesting things to talk about in terms of abilities that ships can do. Like I think that that third series has really thrown the entire Trek technological circle completely out there. There's just so <laughs> much stuff that we've never seen before. And I gotta say, I do not envy those people at Star Trek Online trying to figure out how some of that's going to work right now. Uh, it's definitely going to be an interesting chat. The chat with Al during the episode is going to be 12 minutes long, and our patrons that are subscribed via Patreon at the Enterprise C tier or higher will have access to the full expanded chat that's runtime is around 45 minutes. But before we meet Al, we're going to discuss your submissions to last week's community queue and announce a new one. And then after the chat with Al, we'll head over to the holodeck for this week's All Hands on Deck segment, announce next week's special guests, which yes, it's going to be another double header of epicness, and then James and I will warp out for the weekend. I cannot wait. It's going to be a great time. Yep, we've got a lot of fun ahead of us. All right, let's go ahead and into this week's community queue segment. Punch it so. <laughs> Make it happen. For this week's Community Queue, we asked you all to let us know about your favorite ship classes of all time. We asked you for both your top Starfleet ship as well as your top alien ship. There were so many submissions for this one, and, you know, it's a question that I'm still to this day shocked that we had not asked yet. <laughs> I was actually surprised too. <laughs> but as for the most submitted, you may be surprised by these, you may not, but Starfleet the Sovereign swings ahead with those sleek lines, work of John Eves, mm. and for the aliens, the Romulan de Deridex. Just an iconic ship. I wasn't surprised about the Dideridex. I knew that was going to come up in top. I was actually surprised to see so many Sovereign-class ships. Now, don't get me wrong, it's one of my favorite ships, but I, for some reason... You know what? I'm actually not sure what I expected to be at the top. So maybe I should have thought it was going to be the Sovereign because, you know, it's the newest Enterprise that we've seen on screen. Although, of course, we've got that amazing Odyssey class that's in STO. But something interesting enough was that of all the different combinations that we got, you can imagine there were hundreds of different yeah. combinations and permutations for all those different ships. But those who submitted the Romulan the Dideridex also said the Sovereign was their favorite Starfleet ship. So very
very interesting there to have that combination specifically by so many different people. Absolutely, especially because the two ships appeal to a very different design aesthetic. The Sovereign is your sleek, slippery uh, ship that, you know, you see it go to warp and it just stretches out across the whole screen. Whereas the Dederodex is, you know, bulky. It's big. It's got a massive hole in the middle for no discernible reason. And it's huge as well. It's not meant to be a sleek warship. It's meant to be something that turns up and you turn around and go, we need to go because this thing's here. Ah. Yeah, I guess I imagine if someone really liked the Sovereign, they would have liked maybe the Mogai or the Valdor, mm, right? Very yeah. sleek that we also got to see around the same era. Yeah, hell, the Valdor was designed to be on screen complementing the Sovereign. So it is very interesting in that exactly. regard. But we have had, obviously, plenty of other ships frequently mentioned. The top hitters probably won't surprise you, but we had the Excelsior, the Defiant, the original Constitution, Odyssey class, Oberth, NX-01. Surprisingly, not a lot of love for the Intrepid class. I'm not going to take it to heart, though. So, uh, And also, not that many submissions for the Galaxy class, which yeah. is pretty surprising. So that's two headliner ships from two different series that just didn't really make the cut of people's top (laughs) now they were submitted but they just weren't submitted as frequently as these other ones i definitely put in my vote for voyager (laughs) and then on the alien side we had a huge variety you know starfleet has a design language to it and i guess a part of me expected to see that the aliens would kind of see a lot of the Mm. similar designs come out but it was just all over the place we had the klingon bird of prey then we had the scimitar and then we had the bajoran lightship and now i love that design but it is completely out there compared to pretty much everything else we see on star trek yeah and um then things like the valdor vorcha borg cube as well the borg cube got a lot of love for what is essentially a box (laughs) Definitely a lot of variety here, but I was expecting to see some of these, especially some Borg ships as well as Klingon ships. But thanks, of course, for everyone participating. For next week's Community queue to celebrate the worldwide series release of Star Trek Lower Decks, we want to know if you were in command of a California-class starship, which civilization from the TNG era would you be most excited to make second contact with? Now, for those of you that haven't seen Lower Decks... Be pre-warned for spoilers now, but in the show, the California class is introduced as the sidekick, I guess, of the ships of the line that we see in the next generation. It basically goes around after the Enterprise and other exploration vessels and mops up and does second contact and basically does all of the boring utilitarian side of things like giving them replicators making (laughs) sure that their society is not going to completely revert back to something else but it's a really interesting concept that came out of lower decks and one that we are really excited to hear your answers to i'm looking forward to seeing what alien civilizations everyone comes up with absolutely so please do send us your answers via any hailing method including email going to our website and using the submission mission form or just throw a tweet and i will pick it up for you well james i just received word from ops that al's ship is just docked and i know he'll be heading straight to cork so shall we go meet him absolutely i'm reading my console here and it seems he's at docking bay four let's head on down You know, what we started doing three years ago is we started finding, you know, the more obscure kit 
Bashy ships that Star mm-hmm. Trek would do, things from Pool 359, but we just started making more of our own, right? yeah. our own designs. And some of them were hits and some of them were misses and uh, hopefully more hits than misses. But it was getting harder to find IP ships that people were excited about. Yeah, okay. Um, so someone says, oh, you know, when are you going to do the New Orleans or what are you going to do, the you know, Steam Runner or something or Norway or something like that? And so, yeah, we'd do them. And then, you know, the people who wanted them are very excited, but most people didn't even know what it was or wasn't that popular. There are a lot of really obscure kit bashy ships out there. But now with just season three of Discovery, with a dozen new Federation ships in there. Mm-hmm. It's a cornucopia for Star Trek and starships. So it's going to keep us busy for a while. Yeah. It's a great time to be a Trekkie. Yeah, it absolutely is. That's a good problem to have as opposed to the problem of running out of content. You're sitting here watching these shows and you start to see some of these ships do some crazy things like Bookship. And oh, I can't imagine what must be going through your mind when you see something like that. And you're like, oh my God, how are we going to do this in the game? Bookship is a great example. Like, I don't think anything has made us take pause more than book ship um, it's a mix of like excitement and terror yeah. um, i don't even know if it has an official class name or or anything i don't even think it has a, a name name i don't yeah. think it even calls no, it anything I, yet i think it's only um, called book ship book as far ship. as we know yeah it transforms into a lot of different things i'm not quite sure if it's a little cg magic or do those pieces really align mm. Can they actually fit that if it was a, a model or a toy? Could I p- put it apart and rearrange it properly and it would fit? Or doing a little transformer magic where some pieces are shrinking and some are enlarging. I don't know yet. So that will be a little bit of a challenge. But the, the biggest challenge we've had so far, as far as ship powers, it was probably the Section 31 ship from Discovery mm. Season 2. Leland ship? Leland ship. Well, he's there. Well, there's actually th- four versions of that ship. Oh, right, well, yeah. Leland ship is the small one. The only thing that had was it had those tractor anchors um, that pulled pulled Discovery out of the Mycelium Network. But it's the one where all the panels pop out and they become the fighters. Oh, yes. Right. right? Yes. That was the Nimrod. Yes. I was very, very impressed with how quickly the art and animation and ship powers team was able to make that work. So obviously we're seeing these ships up on screen, but a lot of the times we aren't actually seeing the full design. So I imagine you would have to work with CBS to actually find out what the rest of that ship looks like or maybe piece it together yourselves. But that must be interesting working with that partnership and seeing all these new ships and finding out, okay, how are we going to actually bring this into the game, not only art-wise, but then also power-wise? It's a little bit of a challenge because I'd love to have these things ready to go when they make their debut on the show but unfortunately what happens is we often get the models of the ship early but I've learned a lot about television and how television is made over the last few years and they're crunching to the last minute as far as I can tell so even even if the model doesn't change from the model that we get to what appears on screen the effect house hasn't made their effects until very very late mm. right and so they finish filming early and they're putting the thing together but then they're still doing all their post-processing so we don't see it until you you do right you don't see the final product until you do like i remember we got the discovery very early 
And we saw that, you know, the saucers moved. You could just grab it in 3D Max and spin it around. So we had no idea what that meant. Right, okay. Like, so, okay, it does that. What does that do? Is it, is it a pizza cutter? I, I don't know, right? It's uh, And then when we finally saw it, then we built it, right? We built the effects part of it. Okay, yeah. You know, for instance, Mike McMahon has been boasting that the Cerritos is going to do something really awesome in season two of Lower Decks. I don't know what that is yet. So I don't want to release that ship until I know what it does. Right. So, so he better, uh, better come through. Because <laughs> we definitely want to make those ships. That's another challenge, right? Translating animated into real life. Mm -hmm. um, we don't really know what that means yet. Yeah, because I've seen a bunch of discussion online about that, how you might have like a skin which get, gives it that slightly like... Um... I don't think we want to do that. No. We're, we're not going to make cartoon ships or, or cell-shaded ships in our game. So, you know, we're in discussions with it. I mean, who gets to decide what the realistic version of the ship is when we've got multiple license holders that might want to use those ships? One of the things you touched on, of course, with Discovery was all these ships that we're seeing crazy things happen with. And what's really interesting about STO is that it's, of course, set in the 25th century. But what's great is you can still fly ships that are, you know, pre-TOS and X era. Then, you've, of course, you've got future ships like the Universe class. But with Discovery taking us into the 32nd century, this gives a whole new opportunity for the game to be able to bring in those ships into that 25th century. But of course, you know, because it is a game, you have to also think about game balance and, you know, you see the universe class and you can go into, you know, a TFO with a universe class and they're not necessarily dominating the entire experience. Whereas maybe, you know, in the Trek franchise, if you had you know, the Enterprise J or another universe class in there, they would be. So that I imagine is something interesting that you have to do game-wise to be able to balance that. We just ignore it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we want Star Trek Online to be a game that people can role play the fantasy that they want, whether they like TNG, TOS, Kelvin Timeline, uh, whatever, you know, Enterprise Era, Voyager, Discovery, Picard, and now season three discovery people get to pick their fantasy you know the funny thing is if you want to kind of use an in-world example discovery pops from pre-tos era into the 32nd century right and takes several hits before it got refit at the yeah. end from earth defense force and seemed to hold its own just fine probably not realistic right considering the advances in technology just from tos to tng could you imagine a thousand years later the amount of technology but that's important because they need to serve a narrative that's fun and exciting and engaging and entertaining without right, it being right. absurd and so we're facing the same sort of thing maybe it's somewhat narrative but it's just gameplay wise i can't have the universe class be a thousand years better than if you want to fly the constitution so. yeah and i mean star trek has such a open narrative you can excuse absolutely anything happening the uh, universe revolves around the plot not the other way around mm -hmm. a lot of the time mm -hmm. we can spin some stuff where the tos ships were brought forward and retrofit to modern technology or the future ships came through and they were damaged and so we got some blueprints so we designed them after that but using current technology right or that the parts were damaged or destroyed and so we only had a shell of the ship so you could do things like that to just explain it away narratively and if you don't spin it, the internet definitely does. So yeah, someone so out there is trying to justify why these ships made it in, and that's okay. I mean, SDO is taking the Star Trek storyline in a completely new direction at the moment. We've got all of the Alliance content coming out. Oh, you yeah. know. We've had a few sneak peeks that we've been able to post over this past couple of weeks. But 
What's that been like, creating and imagining what a Romulan and Klingon combination ship would look like? Because they've been very distinctly different in the most, I guess, recent era that we've looked at mm-hmm. and seen on screen. Well, as far as like the narrative as there being an alliance, I think you see a lot of that kind of converging no matter what. There was really no choice narratively than to have Romulans align themselves. Um, as far as Klingons aligning with Federation, they've been allies and enemies back and forth on the show. And then what happens to the Romulans, interestingly, you see in books and now in Discovery Season 3 that obviously the Romulans joined with Vulcans, which was what Spock was working for. Yep, yep. We wanted to represent basically a UN in Star Trek Online, right? Right, That's okay. interesting. What is their force, their NATO? Mm-hmm. What does their uniforms look like? What would their ships look like? And as far as what they look like, that's more of a question for, you know, the process for Thomas and the ship team as far as them merging first Klingon and Federation to make the first the Kittimer class. Oh, yeah. Um, and merging those together to merging that that style. Mm-hmm. If we're going to launch this Alliance ship class, what's the classic thing is you want a cruiser, right? You have to start with the cruiser, the flagship of that Alliance. And then the ship artists go to town on that, designing that. And obviously they merge a saucer with the more Vorcha style nacelles in the back. And it's a process that takes an expertise that the ship artists have and an eye that they have that they do such a great job to catching little subtle hints on that. And then this year now we're releasing the Bird of Prey version and we um, said let's not do another fed Klingon mm-hmm. one. Let's do a Romulan Klingon, especially if it's Bird of Prey. They both have Birds of Prey and that's kind of right. just a long mm-hmm. history of what that means. So anyway, so we decided let's do the Romulan Klingon Bird of Prey merger and then the ship team kind of goes with that and we have something very, very different than the Kittimer class. Um, and I'd like to next do a Federation Romulan science ship version for the following year. So maybe that's what we'll see. It's not like a huge spoiler. We may not do that. No, if you deduce the amount of combinations that can happen, right? Right. So (laughs) it's, uh, and then maybe we'll end with, I I don't know if you can merge successfully three stylings together without it looking like the thing from, from, from lower decks with the Packlet ship, right? (laughs) You start adding to (laughs) Hey, that's canon now, right? The kit bash that that comes to mind is the Yiga class. There is a great ship modeler out there, um, Star Wreck 1701, I think it is, on Instagram, who actually created this gorgeous model of it. And it, you know, I'd actually put it in a new light for myself once I actually saw it built out like that. Um, I'll have to send it on to you. The Jaeger class is something I've kind of avoided for a long time. There's been a few callings for it recently, <laughs> but I mean, a Maquis Raider with a Voyager saucer is just so, um, well, it's, it's, I don't know. I I, 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 might, I don't particularly care for it. It just looks weird to me. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. But Al, we know you've got a load of game dev work to get back to. But before we let you go, we've got five rapid fire questions. We'll read out the questions and we want to know the very first answer that comes to your mind. Sound good? Okay, you got it. All right, Al, what is your favorite ship? If you hold a gun to my head, I'll have to say um, Twok Enterprise, Connie. Okay, and your favorite series? Deep Space Nine. Who's your favorite captain? Picard. If you were headed into Starfleet Academy and you had to pick one of the three career tracks, would you go into command, science, or engineering? Science. <laughs> Although I play engineering on Star Trek Online, it's science for in real life. And lastly, game design and balance aside, the Kittimer Alliance of 2410 brought forth a ceasefire between the Federation and the Klingon Empire and the sharing of technology between the two factions. While some Federation-class ships gained access to cloaking tech, do you think this should be rolled out to all ships? If yes, why? Or why not? Gaming aside, uh, so I'll answer it more narratively, I would say yes. 
I would say all of them should get it. And probably my number one reason for that would be, um, I think, um, all good things. We saw the Galaxy X Dreadnought had cloaking, which tells me that in the future, that Federation ships will have cloaking. It's just a natural evolution of science. I think the, the Accords are gone. Romulus is gone. Yeah, I think narratively all ships should have it. And Discovery has it now in the 32nd century. So, yeah, I think that they should all have it. But that's not going to happen in the game. All right, Al. Thank you again for joining us this week. Hope to run into you in game sometime soon. But while you head out, Brandon and I are going to move into this week's All Hands on Deck segment. For this week's drill, we sent the community to the holodeck. They were tasked with asking their crew to load up a program of a historic battle to observe the strategies that were used so that they could then submit recommendations that they felt could have decreased the loss of life. Now, James, I think you've done a little analysis on the famous ship battles that were most suggested and loaded up as a simulation. I have. Scooby sat on the console a few times, which introduced <laughs> some errors here and there, but it's all right. I caught them. But we had so many great answers for this one. Robbie's favorite series, Deep Space Nine, got a lot of love, as it should, for its large-scale battles as did the series opener for Discovery. But perhaps unsurprisingly, the most common answer was the fleet battle that everyone knows about, but we didn't see until much, much later, Wolf 359. It makes sense that a lot of individuals submitted that this would be the simulation to load up. We know that it was, of course, one of the biggest battles before the Dominion War, also one of the most destructive, 39 ships lost, over 11,000 killed. So I think there could be a lot to learn from there to understand how to decrease the loss of life, you know, against the Borg in the future. Although maybe Maybe the battle was a bit unfair because Lucutus was directing the battle for the Borg, of course, and he had the knowledge of Picard since he was assimilated. But I definitely think that this would be a good one to get a lot of learning lessons from. Absolutely. But I guess it surprised me because until Emissary, we didn't see much of the battle. And even in Emissary, we're seeing this very one ship centric view of Cisco just trying to go through his ship and get his wife out to safety. I personally thought that Project Return would top the list, given that we see that amazing battle going to recapture Deep Space Nine. And as well, you know, it's seen a lot of love in recent years with the What We Leave Behind documentary, giving it a great 4K remaster. Such a good battle. But looking at that battle from an objective viewpoint, having seen it, God, I don't know how many times at this point, (laughs) there are definitely things the Federation could have done a bit different to save a few lives, I reckon. Fair enough, fair enough. But we had some great more obscure answers as well. I was a particular fan of the suggestion to revisit the Battle of the Tyra system. While it was almost a throwaway DS9 line, only 14 out of 112 vessels survived, making this a much worse engagement for Starfleet than, well, Wolf 359. A lot of learning potential there, I bet. Yeah, I think one of the biggest learnings is you can't just throw a giant fleet of ships at something and expect success, right? So there was a little bit maybe of overconfidence being a problem there, uh, but definitely quite a bit to learn from there. Also, I know that the Battle of the Mutara Nebula was frequently submitted, right? Which is 
always good to consider your strategies for when shields are disabled and you've got your tactical systems impaired so a lot to learn from that one overall well-rounded i think we don't talk enough about ship battles you know we focus more on the ships themselves so it was fun to see the community take this to the holodeck this week absolutely if you do want to participate in the weekly drills we announce them on twitter towards the end of each week so do keep an eye out usually on a friday well, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. But before we go, James, will you do us the honors of announcing our first special guest for next week? Absolutely. And this is a big one. OK, next week, the one and only Andrew Probert. Yep. The one, the mastermind behind the Enterprise D and so many other ships is stopping by the pod to talk ship with us. Andrew is truly Trek ships royalty, and he's going to have a lot of ships insight to share with us. But alongside him, Thomas Maroney is also going to be joining us again as a special guest host. He, of course, is the lead ship artist for Star Trek Online, and he first joined us for episode one for our discussion with Rick Sternbach. I'm so excited to speak to Thomas again. He's worked on bringing so many of Andrew's designs to life in the game, including concepts that we didn't even see on screen. So this This will be a conversation you do not want to miss. Don't forget, hailing frequencies are always open. Head to shiptalkingpod.com to transmit a message via the submission form. And while you're there, check out our merch. I personally have our Ship Talking hoodie, and I must say, it's got to be the most comfortable, warm bit of clothing that I (laughs) own right now. It does suit you well. Also, make sure to click on the link to our Patreon at the top of the page and view the special benefits we're providing to patrons in return for their support. This includes expanded chats with all of our guests and even the chance to interact with some of them on a daily basis. You can get in touch with us the old-fashioned way by sending us an email to hello at shiptalkingpod.com. We love getting your feedback and comments about the show in addition to your entries for the community queue and of course we reply to every single email we get we're also on twitter at ship talking pod this is where i spend most of my days as i run the account i love engaging with every single person on there everyone has so many unique takes on trek as a whole and it's an honor really to be able to just drop in and out and promote those discussions uh, alongside the memes of course can't forget (laughs) that type 7 shuttle (laughs) (laughs) I do love your memes and I really love the ship facts that you post every day James we are so lucky to have you as our community manager thanks for all you do oh please You're uh, you're making me blush. (laughs) Uh, As always, the best way to support us is to tell your Trekkie and Trekker friends about the show. They can find us on any and all the podcast platforms or just send them to our website and they can get a direct link from there. And we can't end this episode without giving a huge thanks to our amazing audio engineer, George Davies. The episodes would not go live each week without his hard, hard work on fixing all of my mistakes. (laughs) They would not. Thanks so much, George. And of course, thank you to all our amazing listeners our community and our patrons on patreon who support the show everyone stay safe and well watch out for any ferengis trying to make a shady deal with you and we'll catch you all next week but brandon did you notice that the black oversuit for covert ops was missing from robbie's wardrobe i didn't we're gonna need to investigate this right now absolutely i've got my tricorder (laughs) bye everyone bye everyone Intrepid class.